This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. During davening, during prayer time, that's when we can strengthen our mind, we can perceive godliness, and that's when we can strengthen our heart, we can feel and experience godliness. There's an openness, an openness in heaven that creates an openness here below for us. We left off middle of the page, page 17, the paragraph starting, therefore. Therefore, says the Alter Rebbe, this is what I would ask of those who seek to draw close to Hashem, let them both understand and contemplate and have as a constant reminder between their eyes all that I wrote them last year in general, and especially with respect to devout concentration during prayer from the depths of their heart. Day after day, let them seek Hashem and desire to cleave to Him with all their heart and with all their soul. Let them pour out their soul like water in the presence of Hashem. In this spirit, our Savior of the Blessed Memory taught in his Sifrei, commenting upon the verse, and with all your soul, that prayer should be intense to the extent of pressing out the soul, i.e., until the soul bursts forth and expresses itself in an outpouring of love for Hashem. So the Talmud says, the Sifri, the rabbis say, the Tanoic interpretation of the book of Deuteronomy, Sifri, when the Torah says you should serve Hashem with all your heart and it refers to praying, when do you fulfill this obligation? Until you squeeze out your soul. What do you mean squeeze out your soul? Just like when you squeeze, you squeeze something that's filled with liquid and when you squeeze it out, you're able to squeeze out a little, a little liquid. What does that tell you? That tells you that the whole thing is saturated with liquid. It's so saturated uh, that you even squeezed out a little liquid. It's like a, a barrel that's full and it pours out. So yes, it's only a drop that comes out of the barrel, but what it tells you is that the barrel is full. So too, the mitzvah of prayer is that it should reach your consciousness. You should burst out with a love for Hashem. What, what that tells you is that your whole being, your whole being, your whole subconscious is filled with, with the love of Hashem until it bursts out into the surface. The surface, consciousness, is only the tip of the iceberg. So if, you're, if you feel and experience a love for Hashem on your conscious level, that means that your whole being is saturated with godliness. So much so that it even pours out on your consciousness. It even penetrates through your consciousness. So that's the mitzvah of prayer. The mitzvah of prayer is to reach a conscious love of Hashem. But in order to do that, it means... If you accomplish that, that means mitzvah means you've squeezed out. Your whole soul is engaged, is fully engaged and fully occupied. To get to that point, you have to fully engage and fully occupy your whole being. And that's why prayer is through, as he says, through focus and concentration. Every day, 
seek and search Hashem, pour your hearts out to Hashem from the depth of your heart because it has to engage you fully. That's why you have to need total focus, total concentration. That's the mitzvah of prayer. Remove all external distractions and to be able to totally focus and concentrate on Hashem, on the prayer, which will lead you to a conscious love of Hashem. Which means that you've squeezed out your whole soul. If you've reached that point where you feel it bursts out to the surface and you experience a conscious love of Hashem, that means you've engaged your entire being. Otherwise... It says from the depths of, of the heart. Right. Words, how do you how deep? I mean, how do you know how deep? Well, if if it bursts out into the consciousness, that means that you've really reached the depth of your heart, and it comes through concentration, it comes through focus and concentration. It's not just studying something new. It's not studying Torah. The difference between Torah study and prayer. Torah study, the mitzvah is to study something new. Every day you learn something new. You cover new ground in addition to reviewing everything that you already learned. But the uh, prayer, you're not covering new ground. You're, you're, it's the same prayer every day. But you're experiencing it. You're concentrating on it. You're focusing on it. That's what's new. It's one thing if it's an abstract concept. But it's another thing when you actually live it. It becomes a living reality. That you feel it. It's three-dimensional. It's, it's experiential. It's, it's real. It's personal. But to internalize, to integrate, that, that takes focus, that takes concentration. That's what prayer really is, a time to really focus and concentrate. And that gets into the depth. Can't you depth. Make conscious without feeling it from the depths of your heart? In other words, it's conscious. Yeah, but that's not... But that's not, not feeling it from the depths. That's it says love, serve Hashem with all your heart. If you want a conscious experience in your heart, you want to feel a love for Hashem, just knowing it is not going to lead to love. It's not going to change you. It's not going to transform the person. In prayer, you want to change. You want to... Godliness is more than just an abstract philosophical concept. You want to actually live it and breathe it and experience it. That takes time. There's no, no shortcuts. That takes focus. It takes concentration. It takes... And uh, that's, that's the mitzvah of prayer. That's what the rabbis say. They capture it in two words, mitzvah nefesh. You squeeze out the soul. It means you engage the whole soul. And then, yes, even if you just experience just a, a little, just a movement, a feeling, an experience on a conscious level, but that reveals that underneath it, that's just the tip of the iceberg, is a whole, your whole being is saturated with sensing godliness. This is the third part of the letter, the bottom of page 18. Which the Alter Rebbe added after his students already matured and settled in different towns. And this is like a uh, soul request. Alter Rebbe is asking from the bottom of his heart, he's asking of his Hasidim, because this is the whole purpose why his soul came into this world to enable the Jew to be able to experience godliness, to sense the reality of godliness, to internalize godliness. And the only way to do that is through prayer. Alter Rebbe is begging and pleading and pouring his soul out and asking to please take prayer seriously. 
focus on it, concentrate on it, take it to heart. Because this is the only way that we can fulfill our godly purpose in this world. And now once more I put forth my hand a second time with an additional explanation and a twofold request extended and proposed to all men of the Hasidic Brotherhood, to those who are near and to those who are far, to undertake the following. On weekdays, businessmen who do not have so much time should not step down before the ark to lead the congregation in prayer. Only those who have the time should lead prayers, such as teachers and those who are supported by their parents who at the morning service are able to pray at length for at least an hour and a half on all weekdays. One of them should step down before the ark, chosen by lot or by consent of the majority of the congregants. He should gather around him all those who are supported by their parents and their teachers, who are able to pray at length like himself, and will thus not be distracted by the haste of others. No. This arrangement is not to be changed, I beg and beseech you. Now, when he says an hour and a half, even though the Mishnah contracted brachas, the Mishnah says in the chapter of Einoindim Lispalo, chapter 5, contracted brachas, it says that the original Hasidim would spend nine hours a day davening. They would appear three, every prayer three prayers, every prayer would take three hours. They would take an hour to prepare for the prayer, an hour for the prayer, and an hour after the prayer. Now, the, here he's saying an hour and a half. There the Mishnah says an hour. But there the hour was only for the Shemoneser. Just for the Shemoneser, it took him an hour just to dive in the silent prayer. But there was before and there was after. So here he's saying that the whole entire prayer should take at least an hour and a half. Al-Tarebbe himself practiced what he preached. Al-Tarebbe, the whole entire prayer that Al-Tarebbe took, maybe it took two hours, but for everything. But from beginning till after Shemnesra, I think it was an hour. Al-Tarebbe prayed, he had to cover his walls with uh, like silk or... He had to cover it with material because in prayer he was many times fall into a trance and he would roll and knock his head on the wall. Al-Tarebi was a, myst a mystic par excellence and he would get so ecstatic. He would live the prayer, he wouldn't just say the prayer. That they actually had to protect him. Um, Baal Shem Tev, before he prayed, Baal Shem Tev would say goodbye to his family. He wasn't sure if he was going to make it through prayer. Prayer was an experience. You know, if you looked at the Rebbe before the Rebbe walked into prayer, and you looked at him after he walked out the prayer, it was a different person. His face was flush. It was like he was walking taller or quicker. It was like, like a renewed person. You see that prayer was a rejuvenating experience, pun intended. That's what, that's what prayer is meant to be. Prayer is meant to be a time when we recharge, refresh, reconnect. And it becomes crystal clear again. Godliness becomes crystal clear because it is counterintuitive. Let's be honest. Godliness is not is counterintuitive. You know, materialism, indulgence, pleasure, money, power, fame. That's intuitive. That you don't have to 
You don't need education, you don't have to go to school. It's very, it's natural, it's instinctive, but godliness is counterintuitive. To go beyond your ego is counterintuitive. So you need focus, you need concentration, you need to be able to experience it and to experience what's real, what's real in life and what's reality. The intangible is more real than anything tangible. Godliness is more real, becomes more real to you than anything that's tangible. And you live your life accordingly. So to be able to do that properly, to take your Judaism seriously, prayer is essential. Prayer is one of the three pillars the world stands on. Taira, Avaida, which is service, which is prayer, and Gemilas Hasadim, deeds, action, good deeds and kindness. So of course, prayer alone, you need Torah, you need knowledge, you need information, you need awareness, and also you need action. Prayer has to lead to action. But prayer is the heart. Torah is the brain. Gemilas Hasadim, the action, the deed is the, uh, is, are the deeds. But prayer is the heart, is the center that keeps it all together. There's an argument between Maimonides and Nachmanides. Maimonides believes that there's a biblical obligation to pray every day. One of the 613 mitzvot is a mitzvah to pray every day. Nachmanides disagrees. Nachmanides says there is no such mitzvah. There's a mitzvah. In times of trouble, then you have to pray to Hashem. But there's no mitzvah to pray every day. Which would seem very strange, because Nachmanides was a mystic. Mystics placed a great deal of emphasis on prayer. And yet Nachmanides says prayer is not an obligation. Maimonides says prayer is an obligation. So it seems that Nachmanides is minimizing prayer. So Hasidus explains on the contrary. It's Nachmanides who is the mystic, par excellence. He is the one who's emphasizing the centrality of prayer. Maimonides says it's an obligation to pray. Okay, it's like one, hundred, one out of 613. Nachmanides says the reason why prayer is not a, a mitzvah because it's not a specific mitzvah because prayer corresponds to the, the backbone, the spine of a person it's not, it's not counted as one of the 248 limbs but what happens without a spine, without a backbone the whole organism collapses this is what holds the whole system together so the reason why prayer is not a mitzvah is because you can't, it's not a specific mitzvah this is central this is key, this is what this is the glue that keeps it all together. Without prayer, what's the Torah? And without prayer, what's the mitzvah? It's the prayer that's the heart and soul and the backbone and the spine. That's why the Shmon is called Shmon the 18 vertebrae in the spine, because this is the spine of Judaism. This is what gives it life, and this is what keeps it all together. This is what sends the electricity and nourishes and nurtures and brings new energy to every part of the body. So it's the prayer that gives energy and life and soul to every part of the body. So that's why Hasidus, especially Hasidus Chabad, especially the Alter Rebbe, Chabad Hasidus, and throughout all the generations placed such an emphasis on prayer. This is what makes it all come alive. This is what brings it all together. This is what connects it all. Now the Rebbe is begging and pleading that even during the weekday, the business people are going to miss out. Tough luck. We can't sacrifice prayer. 
prayer is what it is. Prayer is not an obligation we have to fulfill. Prayer is the soul of prayer. So if the only way to accomplish the soul of prayer, Al-Tarebi says, if you take your time, if you pray slowly. And so if the business people have to leave and they're going to miss out, tough luck. But we can't sacrifice prayer for let's pretend prayer or everything is so rushed that Yes, technically you fulfill the obligation, but it's even doubtful if you do if you even fulfill the obligation. Because in the laws of prayer, certain prayers you need intent. For example, Shema, first verse of Shema, um, first three blessings of Shema yesterday. The other prayers, if you're missing intent, it's not the end of the world. However, what if you don't even have an intent that you're praying? You don't even have the minimal intent that you're standing before Hashem and you're talking to Hashem? What if you're so distracted thinking about your next business deal, your next, <laughs> your next board meeting, and your next creative idea, that you're not even thinking about that you're talking to Hashem, and you're just an automatic pilot mouthing the words, then you're, it's not prayer. Then you haven't done anything. The minimal is that you have to know you're talking to Hashem. So then even if you don't know the specific intent of what you're saying, then it's okay. Except Shema, a certain portion of the Shema, the first part of the Shema, and the, the first three blessings of Shema yesterday. But if you're not even aware that you're talking to Hashem, then you're not even present. Then it's totally not a prayer. Not fulfill the obligation. So it's very doubtful if this rush prayer is even considered prayer. Anyone even fulfills their legal obligation. But even if you say you do fulfill your legal obligations, but that's not the heart and soul of prayer. Heart and soul in prayer is to connect, and there's no way to rush it. Yes, we live in the Pentium age. Everything is rushed. But even in the Pentium age, there's certain things you can't rush. If you rush your meal, you're going to get a stomachache even in the Pentium age. You have to chew, you have to digest. There's no, certain things you can't rush. Certain things in life, there's no rush. <laughs> as impatient as we are. So, prayer is one of those things where you can't rush. And if you rush through it, then you're just an empty shell. And then there's nobody home. They really have nothing to give. What are you giving? There's nobody home. There's nothing impressive. You're so busy influencing another person. You, you yourself. It's only worse than the heart that enters the heart. If you're a genuine person, you'll influence another person. But if you don't pray, and you don't have a center, and you don't have a... If you're unglued inside, just being busy and, and helping the whole world, you won't help anyone. You gotta be for real. You know, the only way you can influence another person is if you're for real. And there's no shortcuts. There are just no shortcuts. Certain things in life are just no shortcuts. You just have to take the time and you have to do it. There's no other way of saying it. It's a fact. Things that matter in life take time. Things that don't matter, you can rush. Things that matter take time. And there's no rushing it. Even studying, 
You think you study something quickly, superficially, you get it. You don't even begin to understand what you just read. It's not only until you review at least four or five times that you begin to understand what's difficult. <laughs> and when you study something 60 times, 100 times, then it sinks. Then you start to begin to understand what you're talking about. There's no rush. What's going to help you rush? You're going to get nowhere. Unless everything is superficial. So we, have to, we can't be fooled. That's because we live in the Pentium age and everything is one, two, three. Certain things you can't rush. And if you rush it, it's not going to be... It's not going to work. And prayer is one of them. You know, we're so easily distracted and there's so much going on and who has time and who has energy and who has... But you better find the time. If you're not going to find the time, you're not, not going to save any time. You're going to end up spending unwanted time on other things, negative things. Because nature abhors a vacuum. If you're empty inside, there's a vacuum inside, it's just not going to work. You, know, you, can't, you can't outrun yourself. You can't run away from yourself. It's a false, uh, false panacea. It just doesn't work. And if you want to help another person, it was the great Rabbi Akiva who said, love your fellow Jew like yourself. It's a great rule in the Torah. He's the one who taught us that if you have one, one little bottle of water, there's only enough water for, two peop- for one person. Two people are trapped, stuck in a, in a desert. You have to drink that water. Your life comes first. Because if you're not alive, how can you help another person? Ultimately, the only one you're responsible for and the only one you can change is yourself. So you're busy saving the whole world, but if you don't save yourself, you won't be able to save the world. So you've got to make sure there's somebody home. You've got to make sure that it's real. And... Um, don't use the other person as an excuse for not doing what you have to do. I'm too busy doing good. I'm too busy saving the world. I don't have a minute to take care, take a look what's going on inside. Don't use the other person as an excuse, as a kappa. The Rebbe is begging and pleading. And these truths don't go out of style. These truths remain truth forever. Of course, we're not the same as the generation of the Rebbe. The Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe, even the Hasidim of the last generation, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the zitzflesh, we don't have the tenacity, we don't have the same soul level that they had. So we can't kid ourselves either. We can't pretend we're something that we're not. But we all know that things that matter to us, we have the ability to concentrate. Even in today's ADD age, where everyone is in ADD, every other person officially, yet when it comes to matters that we care about, we have no ADD problems. Talk to ADD kids. They'll sit and watch their favorite game, the playoffs. They'll sit and watch it for hours, very patiently. And they'll sit and, and, and they'll tell you, they'll be able to read you off every score and every absorbing massive amounts of information and memorizing it to the smallest detail. Talk to people about their money, people sit for hours. What happened to no zitz flesh? Oh. Talk to people about themselves, they sit for days. 
So it's, it's Baba Maises. We don't have concentration. Things that matter, you have concentration. Things that don't matter, you have no concentration. It's not, it's not the capacity. The capacity is there. We're all mature adults. Adult, by definition, has concentration. That's what marks maturity. That's what marks puberty. You have the ability to concentrate. Otherwise, the population would cease to exist. So we have, the, the, we have, that, uh, we have that capacity. Capacity hasn't changed. It's just we're so distracted that we don't value it. We don't value prayer. So we don't have the zit flesh to sit and really get into it. To sit and reflect and meditate and try to experience it. So it's not a lack of capacity. It's a lack of valuing or paying attention. But if we realize that our life depends on this, and this is what makes our Yiddishkeit come alive, taking all that chassidus that we learn and really squeezing the soul, engaging the soul, feeling it, experiencing experientially on a conscious level to feel that love for Hashem, to feel a, a tug in the heart for godliness, for holiness, for purity, for truth, for honesty, for integrity. Without that, it all dries up. Without that, Judaism just becomes mechanical and superficial. And ultimately, what, what are you selling someone else? People see right through you. You're just as empty as they are. You're just mouthing words, words that you barely understand because you barely had the time and the concentration to really focus on it. So you're just, you're just like a parrot repeating something that hasn't touched you, hasn't affected you, means nothing to you, hasn't changed you hasn't inspired you, because you're just like a machine, you're just you're a robot, there's, no, there's nobody home. So if your soul is, you're not going to ignite someone else's soul. If you're not genuine, you're not going to get someone else to change. So, you know, you can't dedicate your life to help another person to change his life if you're not changing your life. Very simple. It's not what you say, it's what you do that impresses, that has an effect. It's living it. It's breathing it. It's being a living example. Words from the heart into the heart. But if there's no heart, it just won't work. And there's nothing artificial. And there's no substitute for the real thing. And then there are no shortcuts. No shortcuts. There's no quick way to do this. If the Altareb is chassidim needed an hour and a half. <laughs> 200 years ago, they needed an hour and a half without any distractions. What do we need today? There are no shortcuts. You know, maybe there's some Rabbi Shimon in one second he was able to achieve it. But, uh, you know, we're not, uh, we're not on that level. So it takes time. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time. The inner life. You have to develop an inner life. That's what prayer is. You have to have an inner life. Can't just be external, superficial. Everything in life is so superficial and external. Everything. There has to be one place in your life that's for real. One inner, genuine place. And that's prayer. That's a moment of truth. You're standing before Hashem. That's the time to be genuine. That's the time to develop a rich inner life. When you develop a rich inner life, then that could sustain you. That can give you the energy and the, that enables us to really live a Jewish life. Otherwise, it's impossible. Otherwise, it just becomes boring and mechanical and 
cut corners and we don't take it seriously and we start slipping and we don't live up to our potential. It doesn't, doesn't happen. So prayer, you know, it's like the ironsmith. So the apprentice, he learned everything about, about this uh, trade. He went home and he tried to make something and he couldn't. He forgot one detail to light the fire. If you want to shape metal, iron, you need a fire. Without a fire, you can't change anything. You get a lump of iron, without a fire, you can't melt it and then you can shape it. But what's true with, with a lump of metal, a lump of clay, is also true with us. We're like a lump. We're a golem. We're a lump. Full of potential. But we're a lump. Or if there's no fire, there's no change. All the intellect in the world won't change one iota. The brain won't change us. It's the heart. That's where change happens. That's the fire. That's putting the lump in the fire. Then you can shape it, you can mold it, you can, from this lump you can make a beautiful, beautiful car, beautiful, beautiful design, beautiful machine, beautiful, that's useful, beneficial, otherwise you just have a lump, a lump. Most people are just lumps, and they end up lumps, and they live lumps, and they die lumps. But only in prayer you can become a mensch. You could shape, define, become... You know, something that's a lump doesn't receive impurity, because it's not, it's not a kale, it's not a vessel, it's nothing. It's just shapeless, formless, meaningless, empty. But to make someone into a vessel, a vehicle, something to receive, to be useful, to be beneficial, to accomplish something, you need fire. Without fire, nothing happens. Without heart, nothing happens. Without emotions, nothing happens. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is a time of the heart. Prayer is the service of the heart. Prayer is that fire. So if you don't feel a conscious fire, nothing will change. To get to that fire takes time. But there's no shortcuts. You know, you try to take prayer out of the picture, there's no fire. You just remain a lump. Shapeless, formless, empty, meaningless, just wandering, no purpose, no sense, and empty. Extremely superficial. So, our life depends on prayer. Our Rebbe is begging and pleading. He says, without prayer, nothing is going to change. Without heart, nothing is going to change. So this is the third part of the letter that he added. Once his chassidim matured and developed and left the different cities, and now he's going to speak about Shabbos. On the Sabbath and festivals, however, when all the businessmen do have the time and opportunity to pray at length, devoutly concentrating their heart and soul to Hashem. Moreover, the duty to do so is much greater, as is stated in Shulchan Aruch Chaim. And as is written in the Torah of Moses, six days shall you work, and the seventh day is Sabbath, and to the Lord your God. Really, the business person should also spend a little more time praying during the week, but he can't, doesn't, can't afford an hour and a half. But on Shabbos, where there's no business, more than ever, he needs, the Shabbos desperately needs that time out to really focus on prayer. That's one day that you have 
to really connect with Hashem, to connect with Godliness. Because all, all week, six days a week, you were immersed in the mundane. You were distracted. You didn't have the time. You didn't have the energy. Shabbos, when you're free from all distractions, Hashem gave you this day to be able to focus. It's like today we appreciate Shabbos more than ever because today we're so distracted. Thank God for Shabbos that we, it's 24 hours, 26 hours, we're not distracted by anything. And we can really live and focus and connect and catch our breath and come up the ear. And so it's like your life depends on it. So prayer for the business person on Shabbos is like, all week he's been waiting for this moment. It's like a freeing moment. It's like, so he needs to concentrate on prayer more than the Torah scholar who spend the whole week because prayed, and, you know. And he says that Shabbos, it says, Shabbos is for Hashem. Unlike the holidays. The holidays, it says, are partially for Hashem, partially for us. That's why you're allowed to cook on the holidays, time of festive meals. But Shabbos is all for Hashem. Shabbos is a day after being immersed six days a week, being immersed in the mundane. We need one day to totally, totally focus on Hashem. So who needs the Shabbos more desperately? Who is the Shabbos more for the business person who's been six days a week in the world? And now one day he has to totally focus, focus on Hashem. Continue. Stating clearly, the Shabbos is to be devoted wholly into Hashem. Unlike the festivals which are partially into Hashem and partially into you, the Shabbos ought to be wholly dedicated to spiritual matters. Since the reason for this is that it was preceded by six mundane days of labor. It follows that those who were engaged in this labor during the weekdays, businessmen and the like, should surely utilize the Shabbos wholly into Hashem. On Shabbos and festivals, therefore, they too can step down before the ark. According to the plot of the ascent of the majority, as I wrote last year. Even though as it turns out, there's a superiority to the prayer of the business person. It's like the light that comes out of the darkness. Because he's been distracted and immersed in the material world for six days, and therefore Shabbos, he prays with such gusto, he prays with such a hunger, so there's a superiority to his prayer. On the other hand, there's also an advantage to the prayer of the Torah scholar who's been praying all week. Sunday, spend an hour and a half praying, at least Monday, Tuesday. So you can imagine his prayer on Shabbos. That's why he doesn't say that only the businessmen could pray on Shabbos. He says, also the businessmen. During the week, don't let the businessmen close to the bima, close to the omen. Only the rabbis should pray. For those who study Torah, who have the time, but we're not looking at their watch. But, the, um, but on Shabbos, he says they can also pray. He doesn't say only they can pray. Like he said, during the week, only the rabbis can pray. But they can also pray. Because there is an advantage of the person who's been praying all week. But there is a superiority. There is something special about the prayer of a business person. The worker. On Shabbos. Because what the business person is demonstrating by praying on Shabbos, praying at length on Shabbos is, What's his life all about? How does he define himself? How does he characterize himself? Is he defined by the six days a week that he's been working, by his business, his career? 
or he defines himself by the prayer. So when he takes time to pray on Shabbos and takes, spends the time, he's revealing, he's showing that even all week, what was his essence, what was he really all about? It was about his connection with Hashem. The reason he's doing business is it's part of his mission as a Jew. He's Hashem's ambassador, so he's out there doing business, but that's not who he is. He remains a Jew, and that's his essence is his relationship with Hashem. That's the focal point of his life. It's the center of his life. On one day a week, he comes home. He leaves the embassy behind and comes home, comes back home where he belongs, where he feels natural, at home, which is davening, praying, connecting with Hashem. So it's like the light out of the darkness. There's a superiority, there's a special quality to his prayer, which is even superior to the one who's immersed in holiness all week. And that's why he says that you should uh, also allow, the business person could also be allowed to pray, to lead the prayers on Shabbos. Also, the fourth Lubavitcher Rebbe once said that the business person could see divine providence much more than the rabbi who sits seven days a week immersed in the holy books. When you're in the marketplace, when you're in business, you open your eyes, you see the open divine providence. Hashem is with you every step of the way. That million, one in a million chance meeting, that in every success story there's always that connection that if you open your eyes, you realize it's only by divine providence. And when you realize how Hashem is with you every step of the way, you feel much closer to Hashem than the rabbi could ever feel being immersed in the holy books. So a, a Jew who prays on Shabbos, he, the six days of the week, he opens his eyes, he realizes that Hashem is with him. And he experiences Hashem firsthand, which fuels his Shabbos. When he comes Shabbos, and he can leave all his business behind, doesn't have to think, doesn't have to worry about his business. He can totally focus and concentrate on Hashem. And further his relationship with Hashem. So his prayer is very heartfelt. Prayer is very genuine. It's very inspiring and very real. Inspired. Moreover, it should be made known to Hashem willing. It is my intention to send spies secretly to the whole congregation. To find out is notified by anyone who has the ability and the time to worship at length and to meditate while at prayer, but is slothful. He shall be punished by estrangement, being distanced by both hands when he comes here to hear Hasidic people. And from the negative, you may infer the positive that those who are more generous in the time they devote to their prayers will be assured of a warm welcome. Pleasant be the lot of those who hearken, may the blessing of goodness light upon them, and there is no good but Torah. Previously, Babaji Rebbe says that uh, whatever the Alter Rebbe writes is eternal. So, even though physically he's not sending out spies now, but the concept... This is pretty harsh, excuse me. Yes. This is pretty harsh. Someone who's coming to hear Hasidus, you have to get permission to come hear Hasidus. Hasidus is called the words of the living God. It works if you have a hunger for it, if you have a thirst for it. If you want it, then, then you can receive it and you can absorb it. But if you have no thirst and you have no hunger, if it's not living, as if your life depends on it, if you're not listening to, to Hasidah as if your life depends on it, then it won't have any effect on you. 
So a person who's lazy to pray, he has the ability, but he's not interested. It's too much work, too much effort. Then you're missing the whole point of Hasidus. Hasidus is not just philosophy. It's not playing chess. It's not figuring out a mathematical equation. Hasidus is as if your life depended. It's teaching you how to live. You're searching. Your soul is on fire. You're looking for something. You're looking for real life. How to change your life, to guide your life, how to shape your life. So if you bring that thirst and that hunger, then we can let you in. Then when you'll come and hear Hasidus, you'll, like a person who's parched, you, every drop will be so precious. It'll go right in, it'll have the right effect. But a person who has no interest, it means he's just, he's just in it for the ride, for the intellectual part, intellectual game, gamesmanship, to show how brilliant he is, or for the intellectual stimulation. That's not Hasidus. Go to college, go to university. What are you doing here? That's not Torah, it's not Judaism, it's not Hasidus. The Rebbe's had an aversion, what they call the masculine, people who are only in it for the intellectualism. But did not work on the personality, didn't work on the characters, didn't work on changing themselves, didn't work on taking it to heart, didn't work on examining themselves and being honest with themselves. They were just in it for the intellectual ride. They hated them with a passion. They hated them with a passion. These Hasidim. They call, they call the masculine. It was like the most derogatory name you can call a, a chassid. A mask. He's not an oivet. He's not someone who works on himself. He's not someone who spends time praying. He's not someone who takes it to heart. He could be brilliant. But zero character, zero personality, zero kindness, zero goodness, zero honesty, zero integrity. It's all talk, talk, talk. Brilliant. You can even communicate it and give it over. But there's nothing personal. You haven't changed one iota, you haven't taken it to heart, you haven't improved, you haven't refined yourself, you haven't become a little more egoless. And they have no respect for this person. This person was despised, was persona non grata. What are you doing here? Making a mockery of Hasidus. You're making a mockery of what the Rebbe's sacrificed their lives for. They sacrificed their lives to make healthy Jews, vibrant Jews. Brilliant intellectuals. Uh, Plato was brilliant. Go to Greece, go to Athens. Not Jerusalem. This is, not, this is godliness. Godliness has to change you. Godliness has to refine you. Godliness has to improve you, has to uplift you. If there's no heart and there's no prayer and you don't have the, and you, you have the ability, but you don't want to exert and you're lazy, you don't want to focus, you don't want to concentrate, you don't want to do the work that it takes to really take it to heart and change, then you're almost making a mockery. Alter Rebbe, Alter Rebbe says, oh, you want to come to me, pretend to be a chassid and you're listening, when you're missing the whole point. And what you're doing and the way you're living is counter to everything that I'm teaching and everything that I stand for. Alter Rebbe himself prayed, took time to pray. There were times that the... Uh, they would call the Rebbe's house in emergencies. They needed an instant answer or a blessing in the middle of the night. And the Rebbe says, sorry, the Rebbe is praying. Evening service. Myra says, what do you mean praying? We just prayed in 770, 9.30 every night. We prayed, the Rebbe would come out. With a minion, he prayed. 
So that, that was the faith, that was the show. Pretended that he was praying. And then he would come home and he would pray at length. You know, it's so interesting. I will conclude with this. It says, we just read a few weeks ago the second Torah, second Torah reading in Exodus, the era. It says, the era, Hashem tells Moshe, I appeared to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. So Rashi says, I appeared to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Ha'avis, to the patriarchs. All the commentaries ask. It's obvious, we know that the Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov are our patriarchs. What does Rashi come to teach us? The Rebbe explains that Rashi comes to teach us that why did Hashem appear to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov? Because they were our patriarchs. And there are only three patriarchs. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And four matriarchs. Moshe was our teacher. We are his students. Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is the one who gave us the Torah. Gave us the mind. But why are they patriarchs? Why did Hashem appear to them? Because they are children. If there's a father, Allah of us, I appear to the fathers. The patriarchs means they're the fathers. Where they are fathers, they are children. Why are there only three patriarchs? Because Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov represent the heart. Avram is love, Yitzchak is awe, Yaakov is compassion. To have children, to give birth, to have an influence, to have an impact, it's only with a heart. Moshe taught us Torah. He's not a patriarch. Intellect doesn't lead to children, doesn't lead to change, doesn't lead... You can teach and teach and it's brilliant, but it doesn't change anyone. Least of all yourself. There are only three patriarchs. Without a heart, there's no change. And that's why the Rebbe explains on the altar, there was a, a fire that came from above, but there was a mitzvah to constantly have a fire burning on the altar. And this was a fire that we had to bring on our own, and even on Shabbos, and even in impurity. We always have to light the fire. Because without the fire, the, the outer altar represents the heart. Without a conscious fire, which we have to constantly feed through prayer, nourish, nurture, feed, keep it lit, inspired, inspiring, constantly inspire ourselves. Without a fire, nothing changes. It's like the, the ironsmith. Without the fire, you, you can't shape anything. You're just left with a glump, with a goylum, with a, with a lump of nothing. Shapeless, formless, meaningless not a receptacle so it's not an option Al Rebbe is saying you don't understand it's not a punishment, it's a consequence you don't pray you don't want to light the fire then, then it's not real and everything just goes over your head zero impact in you you just become more arrogant cold if it doesn't change only through heart are you going to change your behavior are going to become a different person, a better person, a kinder person. Without that, what's the point? What's the point? Go to Athens and study under Plato. What are you doing by me? Don't come to me. You're coming to the Alter Rebbe. You're coming to the Rebbe. You're coming to the Jewish leader. To the Torah has to change you. Judaism has to change you. If it doesn't change you, if you don't take it to heart, personally, and if you don't pray, you don't take it to heart, there's no fire, and you don't want to, you're too lazy to spend the time because you're so busy studying and learning and mastering the intellect, but you yourself remain an unrefined person, a disgusting, despicable human being, then you're insulting me, and you're insulting everything that we stand for and everything that we taught you. So 
Why are you, why are you pretending? Why are you coming? So that's what Al-Tarev says, you can't fool me. And then he maybe had to send physical spies. Now he doesn't have to send spies. <laughs> now, where he is now, the, the Rebbe doesn't have to send spies. They see right through us. They don't need any spies. They're here with us. The soul sees right through it. So, so listen, if you're for real, then you're my person. If you're not for real, what do you pretend? Especially where the Rebbe's are now, in the world of truth. Either you're for real, this is for real. Good, if not, what, what, what are we, bluffing our way here? What's this? Who are you kidding? You're not bluffing anyone. What's the point? Don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. And go home. Because don't pretend. Don't pretend to represent Chabad. Don't pretend when, when you don't mean a word you say. You're not taking it to heart. You don't want to spend the time and the energy that it takes. And there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Now, obviously, with time, it gets maybe easier and easier. You get the feel for it. You get the... And the more often you do it, the more it's easier to get into the... to reignite the fire and reignite the fire. Because you have to constantly ignite that fire. There's times when you're impure. You don't give up hope. Keep on going. There are times when you're on Shabbat. You're, you're flying high. But relax. Don't forget to light that conscious fire. Don't forget to pay attention. On a weekday, constantly. Constantly has to be a lit, ignited fire prayer. Not only on Shabbat, but during the week. Every single day, under all circumstances, wherever you are in life, you're high, you're low, you're up, you're down. Prayer is essential. This is the backbone. This is the heart. This is the soul. And without this, we're not genuine. And if we're not genuine, then, then what are we doing here? And Al-Tarebi connected this letter to his whole life mission. And he's begging and pleading. It's very rare that he begs and pleads. Because this is, this is his life mission. To develop chassidim, develop real Jews. And reality is prayer. That's the moment of truth. Intellect, you can bluff your way through it. You're smart, you're clever, you're brilliant, intelligent. But it's bluff. And Alter says, you can't bluff me. You think you could bluff me? Don't worry, I have spies. I'll find out. You can't bluff me. Especially today. So either you're for real, we're for real. So either you're for real, you're more than welcome. If you're not for real, don't waste my time, don't waste your time. Go. Push you away with both hands. The Rebbe's were allergic to bluff, but our Rebbe tore down all barriers and he allowed everyone in which was the greatest thing of all the six generations of rabbis to get in you had to be worthy they pushed the, you know there was boundaries and you had to really show that you demonstrate that you were for real and you really wanted it the rabbi let everyone in and that's part of the divine nature of the time that we live in everyone was let in no boundaries no borders Nevertheless, can't be fools. The Rebbe knows who his people are. If you're genuine, it's very easy to sell the Rebbe. It's very difficult to buy the Rebbe. The Rebbe was so genuine. If you were genuine, you were his. And if you weren't genuine, you know, the Rebbe worked with everyone. Everything that he had, he worked with. But you weren't genuine, you're not his. 
Hashem is genuine. There's no getting, away. There's no getting around it. You can't change it. If you're genuine, then, then, you, then you're connected. If you're not genuine, which is what prayer represents, it's an internal honesty. It's an internal sense of inner compass. If you don't have any inner compass, and you don't have any inner sense of genuineness, then it's all bluff. It could be, it could be shrouded in all these holy things, but it's, there's no reality to it. And it's only when you have that inner compass that you're able to detect genuineness or not. So the Rebbe says, I have a lie detector. I'll know who's genuine who's not genuine. You can't bluff me. Spies, it's one form. There's other ways. Ultimately, the truth comes out. So, I'll know who's for real and who's not for real. You're not going to get in. You're not going to pretend. It won't work. I'm going to find out. Before you get in, I'm going to find out. And if you're not for real, then you're not mine. And you don't belong here. And you're not connected. And who are you kidding? Except yourself. So a bluffer bluffing himself. Okay, so what did you what did you get? But here you're dealing with truth, the Rabbi's saying. I am truth. So this is for real. We're in this for real. This is we're not playing games here. We're for real. I sacrifice my life for this. So you you're in it or you're not in it. You're for real, you're not for real. If you're not for real, you don't belong. You can think you belong, you know. Yes, it's sharp. But this is very real. We're dealing, that's, that's what prayer is. Prayer is a moment of truth. You know, it separates the men from the boys. You don't, you don't, wanna, you don't wanna exert yourself, you don't wanna spend the time, you don't wanna do the work. And then you're not, you don't belong. It's a self, a self uh, eliminating thing. You're just eliminating yourself. No, you have the ability, God gave you the ability, it's up to you. But you have to be genuine, and you have to bring that to the table. And if you don't bring that, you don't want to bring that to the table. You don't want to do the work. Then you know what? You're not mine. In souls, spirituality, you can't bluff. This is truth. But they're saying it doesn't work. It's not a fit. You and I are not a fit. That's the reality. That's the truth. Not pleasant to hear, but it's the fact. Maybe that will motivate. Al-Tarebi wasn't just saying to make, us, make the person feel bad. Maybe that will motivate him. You realize what's at stake here. Al-Tarebi is saying what's at stake here, how critical this is. He's like, hey, so I'm lazy, I don't want to pray, I don't want to take it to heart. I want to just be clever and smart and learned and knowledgeable and scholarly. I don't want to take all of this to heart and really become a Jew and really become a mentor, really become... Al-Tarebi says, and the blunt truth is that you and I have no, nothing in common. We have no connection to each other. That's the, first, that's the frank truth. So maybe that will motivate the person, hey, I better become genuine. I want to be connected. I want to be connected to the Rebbe. I want to be connected to the Alta Rebbe. I want to be Okay. You know what you have to do? And no shortcuts. It's easy to take care of the whole world. We have no control of the whole world. The only person in the world we have control over is ourselves. And that we have no time for. We're busy changing the world. And I'll just conclude with the Tanja Rebbe used to say, he says, when I was young... I thought I'm going to 
changed the whole entire world. I got a little older, I realized the world is not changing. I lowered my expectations, I'm going to change my whole town. I got a little older, I see my town is not budging. I thought I'll change my family. I got to leave a little older. My family's not changing. I decided, you know, I'll change myself. And then I realized, had I started that way, I really would have changed the world. Because we are a microcosm of the whole world. We are an atom. You change one atom, you get one atom right, and the whole world is changed. That's the Jewish belief. Everything we hear, it means me, it means personally, it means here, it means now, it's for real. The Rebbe would always say, by Fabrengi, when he Fabrengi says, it should have an effect on the listeners and should have an effect on me. They say a real Hasidic Fabreng and a real Hasidic gathering, there's three types of gatherings. One gathering where everyone speaks and nobody listens. There's a gathering where one person speaks and everyone listens. There's a gathering where nobody speaks and everyone is listening. So, we affect someone else the more genuine we are, the more authentic we are, the more for real we are, words from the heart enter the heart. And we see it throughout history, bluffers that get nowhere. You may walk away and say you're very impressed, he's very brilliant, but so what? It doesn't change. It doesn't get you to change, because the person is not changing. He's just a walking encyclopedia, okay? So, very interesting. The chip is brilliant, so what? Isn't this a walking encyclopedia? It's not what impresses us. It's the heart that impresses us. If there's a father or there's a son, if there's a heart, that gives birth. Then there's an offshoot. Then there's children. Then there's results. When you put the iron through the lump, through the fire, ah, you can shave. You can make a beautiful machine, a beautiful thing that's, that's productive. That's so without fire, is nothing. Without prayer, is nothing. That's the honest, stark truth. Next week, please, God, will start the second chapter. This is, just, this is just the taste, the first chapter, the first letter. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.